Father, I, I want to confess to you and to these people that I've been so stressed this week. And I know that many here have been stressed as well. Well, we've allowed the, the circumstances of life to jolt us, where we've allowed your sovereignty to take a backseat to whatever it is we're experiencing in the moment. Lord, um, I'm guilty of, of self-sufficiency in the highest degree. Lord, I confess and repent that my knees have not been well used this week in prayer, in supplication, in praise. I confess that my soul has been weak for most of this week. And I have reaped the fruit of a lack of communion and relationship with you this week. And I know that that's the reality for most of us. And so I have no shame and confessing this openly because I have a savior who loves me. A savior who loves me and his love is not based on my performance. His love is based on the, the, lo the blood of his son. But Lord, I make no excuse and I, I ask that you would hear my repentant, public repentance and ask that you would forgive your son and that you would forgive your sons and your daughters who have experienced the very same thing. Maybe it's normative in their life where they have not used their vocal cords to praise you this week or they have not been on their knees to speak unto you this week. Maybe it's normative in their life as it is normative in many of our lives to be self-sufficient in everything we do, not seeking you, not asking for your power and strength to get by or get through because we think we can do it. And so we go about doing it with our own devices and our own methods. And though the task seems complete, Lord, there is something wholly incomplete about something done apart from you. And so, Lord, I ask that you would hear us this morning, that you would bless our soul with your presence, not because we deserve your presence, Lord. That's a gift that we get. Not because we deserve your presence, but because you're kind and you're gracious and you're merciful. Lord, we just want you to stick your finger in this place because we, can't, we couldn't take the whole of your glory, Lord. You told Moses that he couldn't, he couldn't see your face. Your glory was too much. And so you put him in the cleft of a rock and you covered it with your hand. And as you walked by, he only got to see your backside. And even then, he came down from the mountain glowing, shining, because he just got a glimpse, a little piece of your glory. And so, Lord, I pray that you would just give us a little piece of you this morning, that you would draw us nearer to you, to love you and to serve you and to be dependent on you this morning. Lord, in light of the joy, the joyous screams I hear out there, I pray that you would bless these kids. And I pray that somehow, some way, I don't know how and I, I don't pretend to know, but that you would lead them closer to you this morning and closer to one another. Lord, we thank you for this time, and we ask your hand of blessing on it in Christ's name.
Amen. Good morning, good morning. Uh, my name is Kanan Parker. I'm one of the pastors here at Pillar Church, and it's a joy and an honor to be able to open up God's Word with you. And I'm, I'm really happy this morning because we, this is the 14th and last sermon in the book of Jude in the series called Contending for the Faith. And I hope and pray it's been a blessing. I'm giving a, I'm giving a clap. I want, come on, come on. It's good. It's good. Y'all know walking through books of the Bible is it's fire. We went through Ephesians. We went through a piece, like a quarter of Exodus. We did Jesus in the Old Testament, but I wasn't walking through a book. But we just got finished with the book of Jude. We're going to finish it this morning. We did it 14 delicious, nutritious, I hope at least, sermons, right? Um, if, you're, if you're wanting to hear the whole series, man, go on the Pillar Church app, pull it up. It's there. Um, you can find it from verse 1 all the way to this morning, verse 20. God is gracious. This morning, we're going to consider in the book of Jude, verse 24 and 25. So get and turn there in your copy of God's word. God is good. I love completing a book. Just to give you a glimpse into what's, what's to come during the month of December, while you're turning there, we will have several messages on uh, Christmas themes. Uh, and then we will go from that into the book of Malachi. And then we'll go from the book of Malachi to portions of the book of Proverbs and the book of Psalms. So just to give you all like a little overview of where we're going. And we're going to get to hear from some faithful men and women from among us uh, to, to hear God's word in these upcoming weeks that you don't want to miss. Jude verses 24 and 25. I'm going to read it. We're going to talk about it. I'm going to read it again. We're going to talk about it. This is just what we're going to do. It says this. It says, now to him who is able to protect you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory without blemish and with great joy to the one, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, power, authority before all time, now and forevermore. Amen. What this is, this is something called a doxology. A doxology, there's different Christian terms that we hear, but we don't know what they mean. You, you hear the word benediction. What does benediction mean? It means good word. That's when somebody speaks a good word over you. Well, doxology means glory thought or glory word. It means a word of glory or a word, uh, a thought of glory. And that's what Jude is doing as he completes his, his, his time and his letter in Jude. He gives a thought of glory or a word of glory, ascribing it to God because God is worthy of it. He's worthy of our glory because of what he's done, and he's worthy of our glory because of who he is. Now, let me unpack that a little bit, just a little bit. We're used to giving God glory for what he's done for us. But have you ever thought about why it is we struggle to give God glory just for who he is? You see, when God does something good for you, it's easy for you to say, oh, praise God. When you're in times of need and you ask God to deliver you and then he does, you give glory to God. But in the midst of a time of need, when he chooses not to deliver you, how come we don't praise him? See, it's easy to give him glory for what he's done. The hard part for a sinful human like you and me is to give him glory surely on the basis of who he is. Have you found yourself in that situation where God is not seeming like he's answering you? Y'all can talk as if it's true. I need to see, is it true? Because then it, it tells me how to shepherd y'all. Y'all find yourself there, right? You find yourself in a, in, a, in a situation or a position where God is seeming like he's ignoring you. Like he's withholding good from you. 
Like he's telling you to abstain from something for your own benefit, but you feel like he's only keeping you from good times. That's just how we feel. Even in the Psalms, the psalmist is like, yo, I look at the wicked and they're prospering and they're joyous and they're laughing all day long. And he's like, I yearn for that. Why don't I have that? Lord, I, you know, like the prodigal son, the oldest son. I do everything my father's told me to do. And yet he's bitter when, when the prodigal comes back home. So you're telling me he gets to disobey and he gets bl- blessing and grace, but, but I do everything you ask me to and you don't answer my prayer. What's good with that, God? That's just real. That's just... That's real interaction with a real being. And in those times, Jude is exemplifying that we are to give God glory despite whether or not we comprehend his speaking to us or answering our prayer. Yes, no, and wait is God's answers. You ask for something, yes, no, or oh, hold on, bro. You ain't ready. Later. Jude says this in verse 24. It says to him, and so he's speaking to God. He's telling us to ascribe something to God, but he's going to give us some characteristics of what God has done for us first. And then later he's going to tell us who God is. He wants us to have a full-orbed praise of God, not only for what he's done, but for who he is as well. Does that make sense? I wish I could see y'all's mouths. Pray for COVID to end. I hate COVID. It says in verse 24, Now to him who is able to protect you from stumbling. God is able to protect us, or in some translations, it says God is able to keep you from stumbling. This is the same sentiment that Jude gives us in verse 1, where Jude says this in in Jude verse 1. He says, to those uh, who are called, loved by God, the Father, and kept, that's in your cross-reference sheet, and kept for Jesus Christ. Jude is saying that God is able to keep us or protect us from stumbling. And so that automatically begs two questions. Two questions should come out of that, and probably more than two, but here's two I'm going to look at, is what does it mean to stumble? And then the second question is, what's causing some of us to stumble? Now, the whole book of Jude should have helped answer that, but in case you weren't there, we're going to answer some of that today. What does it mean to stumble? And then what's causing us to stumble? I'm going to give you some some scriptures that are not in your cross-reference sheet. You can just write down the references. But to stumble in short is to fall into sin. James chapter 2, verse 10. James chapter 3, verse 2. Romans 11, 11. To stumble simply means to falter, to no longer walk smoothly, right? It means to to fall into or or to to tip into a particular sin. It doesn't mean you've given to that sin in the sense of you've turned yourself over to it, like you just want to obey it all the time. It means that you find yourself getting caught up in a sin, okay? But more contextually, Jude tells us what he's talking about when he talks about we don't, God is able to protect us from stumbling. Look at verse four in 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 the book of Jude. It says, for some people who were designated for this judgment long ago, they've come in by stealth and they're ungodly. They're turning the grace of our God into sensuality. This is verse four of Jude and denying Jesus Christ, our only master and Lord. 
And so what Jude is telling us is that to stumble, God is able to keep us from stumbling into and under the hands and influence of these dudes who came into the church that are ungodly, that came in through stealth, that are leading believers, genuine, authentic uh, people who desire to serve and follow King Jesus, leading them astray. So to stumble is to be influenced by false teachers and false teaching. You feel me? It reminds me of Psalm verse, there's another one that's not in your sheet. Psalm, verse, uh, Psalm 140 verse 4. This kind of encapsulates it. The psalmist says this, he says, protect me, Lord, from the power of the wicked. Keep me safe from the violent men who plan to, ta- who plan to make me stumble. That's the heart that Judah's getting at. These dudes are trying to influence me to do things and believe things that the scriptures do not condone, do not want us to do or be. And so Jude tells us in verse 3 of his letter to contend for the faith delivered once for all to the saints. And what we did is we spent a few Sundays unpacking what these dudes teach and how they act. And it's in that part of this series called the anatomy of a wolf where we looked at some of these things. I'm going to recap some of that. It describes a wolf or a false teacher as such. A wolf is someone who comes acting and looking innocent but has ulterior motives. I was sitting the other day at a shop, and a brother came up to me, and he was like, man, I I see you got a Bible out, man. Can I ask you a Bible question? And I was like, we're life. You know, sit down, because that's what I want to do. You know, I want to cook it up with the text. So he's like, man, can I ask you a Bible? Man, I'm conflicted in my soul because it says, and I won't get into the details, it says this, but you know what I mean? But I think you know, you Christians be saying this, and instantly I'm like, wait a minute, oh, he's starting to pit people. So I start asking him some questions, and all of a sudden, he's rebuking me for believing certain Christian doctrines. And quickly, I was like, brother, you came under a false guise. You didn't have a conflict within your soul. You came in here trying to flip the kid. You see, a wolf will come in on some old man with friends. You know, I, I, got a, I got a problem that maybe you can help me with. I don't know. And they seem genuine. They seem like they want to help. And then what they want to do is flip the script and get you to believe something that they already believe. And if you're, not, if, you're not, if you're not hip to the game, they catch you. If you're not hip to the game, they catch you. They catch you tripping. They catch you slipping. We describe wolves that they try to get away with sinful behavior with pseudo-biblical justifications. Right? Those are those husbands who say wife obey, uh, wives need to obey their husbands, and they use that as an excuse to strong-arm those women in their life. Right? That's a pseudo-biblical justification. Even though the text may say something like that, it doesn't mean you're not abusing any authority that God may have given you. It's those, abuses, it's those verses about alcohol and drunkenness that you use to, to hit over people's heads as if all alcohol is sinful, when that's clearly not what the ta- what's taught in the text. See, we use verses that seem like it's saying one thing as a means of defense in order to do what we want to do. Does that make sense? That's what a wolf does. Wolves say that they alone have received special private revelation from God. If anybody ever comes to you, y'all hear me on this, anybody ever comes to you, me or somebody else, and we say that we have special knowledge and we're the only ones with this unique special knowledge from God, and God told me that you need to blank, and you can't find a corroborating principle from the text, you disobey that. You don't follow that. We talked about God giving us guardrails, right? 
because he's a God of cooperation and he uses the text to verify any word that he may speak to his people. And so if he gives somebody a word for you, it's going to be consistent with the text already spoken. It won't contradict it. He won't tell you to cheat on your spouse because your spouse don't love you anyway. He won't lead you to follow anybody other than King Jesus. A wolf will come in and get you to exalt yourself or, or your people above King Jesus. Anybody that lifts up anything over him, wolf. Wolf. False teacher. Anybody who devalues the word of God, wolf. I, I watched a documentary about Jonestown. Y'all know about Jonestown, Jim Jones? Led everybody to, to Guyana, or I think it was Guyana, right? It came a point in his ministry where he held up a Bible. He said, this is a Bible. And he threw that. He chucked that joint to the middle of the room. Boom. And he said, where's the lightning, God? No lightning struck him. Now, at that point, I'm like, bro, you bug, you bugging, son. I would have been ducking. I would have been out. What was he doing? He was teaching his people to devalue what it is that God has already said in hopes of replacing their value of what they believed in the word of God with his words. What I say is scripture. They're going to devalue the cross of Jesus Christ. A wolf is also going to play fast and loose with the grace of God. Hey, you want to play, bro? We can get it. You're coming. You're, you know, you're being taught anyway. You'll be there. A wolf is going to play fast and loose with the grace of God. This is something that Sheep with wolf-like tendencies also tend to do. They make light of sin because they have the blood of Christ covering them. You guys ever make light of your sin because you know you got the blood of Christ covering you? And so your sin doesn't hit maybe the way it's supposed to hit? Anyone who makes light of sin has never truly encountered God's grace. Sin is the worst kind of of affront to God. It's a betrayal of the highest order. It's an egregious, blood-boiling, true heartache type of a situation with God, worthy of God's eternal destruction, and all who partake of sin are subject to God's wrath. Sin is what sent your Savior to the cross, yet we make light of it? There's nothing light about sin and there's nothing cheap about grace. Let me ask you this question. Have you ever been betrayed? by somebody? Have you ever been dimed out by somebody? Has somebody ever done something harsh to you in that way and then they make light of it? How do you feel? Now take that and, and, and raise the stakes. Somebody dogged out another sinner, but when you do that to the Holy One, the God of heaven and earth, the one who gave, shed his blood to redeem a sinful people like you, and you spit on his redemption... Oh, it's not a big deal, man. I know you did it, but yo, it's cool. It's cool. No, it's not cool. Sin is never cool. It shouldn't be, oh, it's cool. It should be, dog, let's repent. Let's cry out for forgiveness and grace. This is not good. We shouldn't do this anymore. That's a response to sin, not, oh, man, I know me too, bro. That's what happens in accountability groups. Right? It's like, oh, man, I'm sick. I, I, fell into, I fell into my eyes of watching something I shouldn't have watched. Man, me too. Dang, I know, right? No, it's let's repent. Let's turn from it. Let's pray. Let's lay hands on. We don't want this no more. We don't want bargain basement grace.
when you take the time to consider who God is and what he's done for you. And then you, you couple that with, with an action of betrayal to him. And you're okay with it. I question whether or not you've ever experienced his grace. That's why they call it amazing grace. It should drop you to your knees when you recognize that he's been gracious to such a sinner. Wolves tend to have ulterior motives for joining a church in hopes of coming up at the expense of a sheep. Remember, we defined a wolf as someone who does harm to the body for personal gain. You know, typically a wolf will shy away from being fully known. You know, you do, usually you don't enter into the home of a wolf unless they're a really skilled one. They want to keep you at it somewhat of a distance. They want a mystery factor with you. A wolf is somebody who comes into a church and instantly wants authority. They instantly want a role of authority without ever serving faithfully with no recognition for the job that they've done. That's a wolf. A wolf will cause you to question submitting to your biblical leadership. You know how they do that? They say, well, I know that Pastor K said, but I don't know. I ain't really. You see how smooth that is? You're sitting in the group and it's like, yo, Pastor K said, you know, we should blah, blah, blah. It's consistent with the word. Nothing wrong with it. It's wise. It's cool. We should do it. Yeah, but you know, you know me. <laughs> you, know, I don't, you know, I don't really get down like that. That's a wolf-like tendency, dog. When you mentioned that before you start looking around and putting in your mind people who fit these categories, you ought to be looking at yourself to see whether or not you, are, you yourself are a wolf or you have wolf-like tendencies. Why did you come here to Pillar Church this morning? Did you come here because you saw a small church that you think you can influence? Did you come here because you saw a cutie and you wanted to try to get with him so he was like, well, I'm going to go to church with you this Sunday? Did you come here because you're a discontent grumbler at your old church? So you decided, well, I'm going to go someplace else because they don't do what I want them to do over here. Maybe I can get them to do what I want to do over there. Did you come to fulfill something inside of you, anything other than getting and being closer to Jesus and closer to his people? Why are you here? It's funny is we've been influenced. We've been influenced more than what we know. Because most individuals will, will jump ship as soon as the leadership does something they don't want. Key word, they don't want. Key word, they want to benefit in the manner in which they think is best, which means that they could give a rip as to what God has led the leaders to shepherd their sheep into. And so you go places, you're, you're, you're fast and loose with the church itself. And then we blame the church for not, man, the church should have stepped up in this category. You can't step up when you got fickle people. I ain't talking about us, I'm talking about everybody. You, them, everybody. I wouldn't be surprised if somebody in here thinks that they, this is a small church that they can influence and that's why they're here. I wouldn't be surprised if somebody has some kind of ulterior motive outside of desiring to be closer to Jesus and closer to his people, and that's why you're here. I know there's other circumstances and variables to consider. Maybe you came from out of town or you want to be closer to your neighborhood. There's all that stuff is great, good, and dandy, but I want you to consider whether or not you've been influenced without knowing it. I only want people here who God wants here. And if God has called you here, then great, but I want to remind you of this. 
I want to remind the sheep of this and the wolves of this. That the chief shepherd of this flock is the almighty sovereign ruler of heaven and earth. And he will protect his people from you. He's an unquenchable inferno. He is the unstoppable uh, object and the immovable force or boat, whatever way that goes. He controls the winds and the waves. He shuts the mouth of lions and leviathans. Mountains, ma- mount, mount, mountains melt like wax before his presence. He's the defender of the faithful. He's the watchman of the sheep. That's the chief shepherd of this flock. And all glory to him. Verse 24 says, to him who is able to protect you from stumbling. That should be comfort to God's people. That God will protect us from stumbling. But how does he do it? We looked last Lord's Day. We saw that he does it by calling us to get close to him. Remember that? If you keep yourself in the love of God, Jude 21. You have to keep yourself close to God. And if you keep yourself close to God, he will protect you. Let me give you an example. A couple months ago, I took my daughters to a park around the corner from my house. And where I live, there's a ton of loose dogs. There's always loose dogs. All kinds of dogs, too. Pits, rots, Dobermans, little dirty German shepherds, little chihuahuas near my house, and little evil dogs. They're everywhere. They're, uh, that's you. I'm sorry if that's your house. There's little chihuahuas there. They're little evil dogs, always biting at trying to bite people. They're there. We're at the park. They're swinging on the swings. And what do I see in the distance as I sit back watching them swing? I see a loose one. One of my daughters saw him and started freaking out. All I had to do was get in close proximity to my daughters, and instantly, what did they feel? Safety, protection, right? They knew that if the dog was going to get to them, it had to go through me. All they needed was proximity to power. All they needed was to be close to me, and they were like, Daddy, where you at? Okay, you see him, right? Okay, I'm a swing. And he's looking at me and looking at the dog, right? Somebody called me on my phone. I look at the phone. Daddy, daddy, daddy. No, 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 no. Look. Okay. But all they had to do was be close. And they felt protected. And it's funny. It's not that different. God's prescription for us to contend for the faith is the very same and, and, and the same as that analogy. All we got to do is be close to him. We got to stay close to him. And what's beautiful What's beautiful is just like children, we tend to stray away from him. If you've ever been to the park, you've seen these little kids and they're running from their parents, not knowing what they could be running into. But we have a God that even though we flee from him and not faithful to him, he comes chasing after us because he understands the dangers that are coming. The dangers that loom. The scriptures tell us to keep ourselves in the love of God. Another example is like being on a roller coaster. You know, no matter how hard you you hold on to them bars, that that's not what's holding you in the roller coaster, right? And when life circumstances jiggle you and jagger you and throw you and hurt you and jerk you in each direction, your hands are too weak to hold on. What happens inevitably? Your hands slip off the bar. But praise God, you got something called a seatbelt. You got something called a shoulder harness, right? And what does it do? It holds you close to the seat despite your ability to hold yourself there. But isn't it so much better when you got that seatbelt thing there, when you you get the bar to hold on to? You feel so much more secure. You know when you feel unsecure? When you go into a roller coaster and there's nothing to hold on to. You know that's not the thing holding you, but you feel so much better when there's something there. 
And so God calls us. He says, keep yourself in the love of God. Hold on with all your might, but know that I'm the one that's actually holding on to you. I got you, sheep, wolves. He got us. Real quick, I want to talk about this, this concept that we've talked about a couple of times called, I keep, I keep calling y'all to, to be close to Jesus, right? To be in holy proximity to Jesus. And, 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 it, and, it, and it dawns on me all the time. It's like people don't know how to get close to Jesus. The problem is you do, and you just don't want to spend the time to do it. It's funny. You know how to get close to any, any other type of, any other being, any other person, but, but we don't know how to get close to God. When you pursued your spouse, how did you get close to them? You sat with them. You listened to them. You, you shared your heart with them. You cried on their shoulder together. You shared intimate realities with one another, did you not? What happened? You started looking like each other, acting like each other, mimicking each other. Y'all remember when you was a kid? And you was at that age where hanging out with other kids wasn't cool. You wanted to hang out with the adults. And there was that, usually that one adult that you looked up to more than any of the other adults. And what did you start doing? You started putting yourself up underneath that adult, didn't you? You started asking that adult questions. You started mimicking the way that adult speaks, the way that adult acts, the way that, everything about that individual you wanted to be like because you admired that individual. How can we not do that? See, that's going closer in proximity to somebody. We do the same thing with the Lord. It's not a mystery. We read, we pray, we reflect, we obey, we cry, we scream, we keep him on our mind. When, When things are not going cool, we're screaming and crying out to him. We're on the floor begging him to do something. It's proximity to Jesus. God's remedy to, to God's call and his remedy for us to contend for the faith is just to keep ourselves in close proximity to Jesus. That the, the, the most influential sermon that myself or any of you will ever preach is your life. You're constantly preaching and your life is telling the story to everybody around you as to what it is that you truly believe. You don't have to be verbal. They can watch you and know it. And if you're to contend for the faith, God doesn't want you contending with your own devices, your own apologetic know-how, your, your own intellectual ingenuity. He doesn't want you to use all that. He says, be close to me with your life and get and watch it work. Just watch it work. Just remain close to me and watch it work. I've had people tell me, I've had people who, are, who, who God, is you, God has blessed me to help lead to the Lord, and it was nothing I said. They were like, yeah, I don't really remember all that you said, but dog, I watched you when X and Y happened. I saw you when you did blah, blah, blah. Man, you got something I need. And it's like, I couldn't have convinced him of that. Your life is preaching. Your life is speaking. You're a a messenger of God in your own right. Are you self-sufficient telling everybody else that they don't need God because you don't need God? Are you wholly dependent upon him? Are you in love with him? Or is he just something you add on to your week? You're preaching with your life. You're teaching your kids 
realities and the ways to think about God by what you do. You're teaching your spouse what you believe about God by what you do. Everything you do matters. And God has chosen to tell us to contend for the faith, even in an apologetic apologetic manner. You do so with your life first. We contend by getting close to him. We stumble if we're self-sufficient, but we walk smoothly if we're trusting in him. Look at verse 24. It says, now to him who is able to protect you from stumbling and there's something else he gets to do for us and make you stand in the presence of his glory. In Matthew chapter 14, there's the story that maybe most of you have heard. It's the story of Jesus walking on water. And in Matthew 14, you know, Jesus sends the disciples off on a boat and they're in the middle of the sea and there's a huge storm in the middle of the sea. And as they're in the boat, it's the middle of the night, they peep game and in the distance they see a shadow and they start getting shook because they think it's a ghost. But as the shadow gets closer, they see it's actually the King Jesus walking on the water like a G, because that's what he is, walking on the water, right? And they go, oh, and he says, nah, be cool, it's me. Look at the story in, in verse 28. It should be in your cross-reference sheet. Look what happens. This is Peter speaking. It says, Lord, if it's you, Peter answered him, command me to come to you on the water. Jesus said, Come. And climbing out of the boat, Peter started walking on the water and came toward Jesus. But when he, when he saw the strength of the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me! Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand, caught hold of him. And said to him, you of little faith, why did you doubt? I want you to read that story through the lens of Jude verse 24. Jude tells us that Jesus is able to make us stand despite what's underneath our feet. Peter can't walk on water. But he did. Peter walked on water. And he did so by faith, but when he took his eyes off Jesus, he began to stumble and sink. You see, as his proximity to Jesus got, as Jesus got closer, he was able to walk through the, through the storm that was around him, standing on water, but as soon as his eyes turned from the king, he began to stumble. And what wolves do is they want to get your eyes away from the king because as soon as you do, you're prone to stumble. You're easier to slip. You're easier to trick because your eyes are somewhere different. But it's just like God's grace to hold us up in the midst of sinking. It's just like his love to catch us from falling away in the midst of stumbling. The analogy is the same as the dogs in the park. My kids may take their eyes off of me, but I can't take my eyes off of them. And in the same way, though we may take our eyes off of King Jesus, we praise God that he's the one keeping us. And so if he's keeping us, though we may slip and stumble, he continues and maintains fidelity to hold us and make us stand in the midst of our sin. That should take the work out of your faith. Y'all ever stumble and slip before? Y'all ever sink in sin? 
one way or another, maybe you believed a false teacher at one point in your life. Maybe you're drawn away by the allure of your selfish sin, your sinful inclinations and your obedience to the flesh. They put stains on and blemishes on your spiritual ledger. And sin must be paid for. And you know what the wages for sin is, don't you? If you're a church folk, you heard it a million times. The wages of sin is death. Something must die. But thanks be to God that the cure is faith. Faith that Jesus never took his eyes off the prize himself. Faith that on the cross, he took God's wrath on his back. Faith that when he was bruised, he was, he was bruised for sin and iniquity. Faith that he was dead and buried on the third day, Jesus bench pressed death. Faith that Jesus always a faith that Jesus gave himself as a substitutionary sacrificial atonement on behalf of all who would believe. Those are big words. That means Jesus died in your place. You have to believe that. You have to know that. And then on the third day, he rose from the dead, proving that his sacrifice was acceptable to God the Father. Because your sin demanded, what's the wages? Death. That means something had to die. That's why the Old Testament sacrificial system was put in place. Sin had to be atoned for by blood. And if it wasn't going to be the animals, bulls and goats, it was going to be you. And so we needed a sacrifice. And God loved us in such a way that he sent his son to be a sacrifice on our behalf. What did you do to earn it? Nothing. But you spit on it? Would you ever give your loved one to die for somebody who spits on your grace time and time again? See, when you understand God's grace, you can't spit on the cross. Sin becomes a big deal. You may commit it, but you loathe it and you grieve it. You repent of it. You turn from it. God calls us to have faith and believe that Jesus died for our sin, that Jesus paid it all and all to him we owe, that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, that we can be saved, Romans 10, 9. It's not a mystery, it's trust. You all know what that's just what faith means? Trust. Entrust yourself to King Jesus. That's what God is calling you to do. And if you don't, you will slip, slide, stumble, and sink. Stumbling is a result of unbelief, bad theology, and self-sufficiency. You want to know why you stumble in sin? Because of bad theology, unbelief, and self-sufficiency. That's why you stumble. But you'll stand as a result of God's goodness, his faith, his protection, his love, and his sacrifice to keep you clean. It's called justification theologically, is that God declares you righteous. And it's not because of what you've done, it's because of what Jesus has done. And you get that attributed to your account by the F word, faith, trust. You don't want to be in the face of God's inferno, lest you be cloaked with his grace. I think about not deserving God's grace and I want you for a moment to consider and think about the sin that you committed this morning that you neglected to repent of. You know when you yelled at your kids for no good reason? You know that sin that you were lusting at somebody up in here just before we started singing? You know that sin that you were judging the person next to you with 
unrighteous judgments, not biblical standards, but unrighteous judgments. You know that comparison you made to the person who is singing or the person who is playing or the person who's preaching, thinking that you're better or you know somebody else who's better, the sin of comparison to something other than a biblical standard, you know the sin that you committed. That ain't light, and God don't take it lightly. I think about the Hebrew boys in Daniel chapter 3. You guys familiar with Daniel chapter 3? The Hebrew boys got thrown into the furnace. Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Their Babylonian names were Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And how they were thrown into the flames of the fire. And anybody who even got remotely close to the fire, what happened to them? They perished and burned, right? The king was like, turn that mug all the way up on max. And they threw them in there, and the heat was blazing. And the people who came to check to see if they were dead, some of them was even getting burned. And when they looked into the fire, what did they see? Not three shadows, but four. That fourth one. They were in proximity to that fourth shadow. And what's kind of the idea behind the story? The the metaphoric principle that we can pull out of there. There was a holy proximity to the divine one that protected them from the, fl- the, from the, blaming flaze, uh, the flaming blaze of the king of Babylon. See, it says when they came out of the fire, there wasn't four of them, there was just three, even though there were four shadows, and they didn't even smell like smoke. But see, what I'm, my desire is that you guys are not saved from the flames of the king of Babylon or the king of Persia or the president of the United States, I pray that you are saved from the flames of God himself. You need God to save you from God. Whose wrath you think you avoid? Whose wrath you think you don't want? God saves us from himself. Oh, what a relief it is to be in Jesus, because all those who are in Jesus are freed, are are covered by the cloak of his grace, and the flames of God's judgment does not touch you. But you see, we can praise God for that. But what about praising God for who he is instead of just what he's done? Look at verse 24. Now to him who was able to protect you from stumbling and to make you stand in his presence, with, uh, stand in, his, in, his, in the presence of his glory without blemish and with great joy. You see, the ending there is our inevitable result. That should be happening. If you understand God's grace for you, then you should have great joy. It doesn't always mean that you're Pharrell, I'm happy all the time. Y'all know that songs be duping dudes. I'm happy, y'all know that song, right? No, that's not, the, that's not real. Ain't nobody happy all the time. It's the jam, but you ain't always happy. It ain't real. Joy isn't that. Joy is, joy is I'm comfortable in the disposition because I know who holds my life in his hands. So I can sing praises anyway. Happy's fleeting. Happy goes away. Happy goes away as soon as your spouse does the thing you told him not to do. Happy goes away as soon as your neighbor's dog poops in your yard. Right? Happy is gone. Joy is everlasting. Joy comes from God. It's different. But he allows us to stand before him without blemish. I'll give you some verses, not in your cross-reference sheet. Leviticus 1, Hebrews 9, 1 Peter chapter 1, uh, Hebrews 9, verse 14. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 19. All teach that you, know, you cannot stand before the presence of God if you are blemished in any way. In the Old Testament, they needed an unblemished lamb to use as a sacrifice on God's behalf. I mean, on our behalf. 
And if you have blemish, if you have sin, you can't stand before a holy God. But what has God done? He has sent his son, who's the only unblemished one, and covered us with his blood, therefore uh, 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 cleansing us from all of our blemishes so that we can stand justified before a holy and righteous God. This morning, my prayer is this. I'm going to wrap this up. This morning, my prayer is this. My prayer is that you recognize God's grace, that you grow in holy proximity to Jesus, and thereby you contend with the wolves among us. My prayer is that Pillar Church would be a church that could be a model of what it looks like to contend for the faith, not because we have PhDs, MDivs, and all the other kind of degrees up in here, not because of that, but because the people walk and keep themselves close to King Jesus. And that as a result of us being close to Jesus, his glory shines from us. And the people down the block would see us and there would be something wholly attractive about the gathering of the people. And that's because God is in the mix. God's people is in the mix. My prayer is that we could be impactful in this side of the city because you have had holy proximity, holy relationship, close relations with the king. I can't do that for you. You know how to get close to people, though. Because this is a doxology, I want to read it as such, and I want to read it over you as God's people. So if you would stand and receive the word of glory from the Lord of glory. It says, listen to the words, though. Let it do something to you. It says, now to him who is able to protect you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory without blemish and with great joy to the only God our Savior through Jesus Christ our Lord be glory majesty, power, authority, before all time, now, and forever. And may God's people say, amen. Amen. Father God, thank you for your protection over us. Thank you for proclaiming that you got our backs in the midst of the hardness of this life. Forgive us for being self-sufficient. Forgive us for trusting in ourselves and not trusting in you, thereby stumbling and then questioning why you keep us from, why you're not stopping us from stumbling. Because we run from you. We stray from you. The text says, like sheep, we've all gone astray. That's what we do, but then we wonder why we're not close to you. The devil has put something in our eyes. It's called busyness. He's put it before us. And busyness is the enemy of proximity to you. We can't get close to you if we don't spend time with you. We can't get close to anybody if we don't spend time with them. But your method of protection is by virtue of being close to you. 
And so, Lord, I pray that you would blow away all the chaff that came out of my mouth and that these people would hear whatever it was that was good and sustentative for their soul. And that as a result, they're not enamored with me. They're not enamored with this place. They're not enamored with these singers, the, the, the guitarists, the, the speaker. They're enamored with you, King Jesus, that they need to be closer to you. That if that's all they got, then that's something worth it. They need to be closer to you. Teach these people what I cannot teach them. Show these people what I cannot show them. Lead them closer to you by the power of your spirit. And let us walk together in holy communion with you. Glory, majesty, and power are yours. And we will lean on it in Christ's name. Amen.